So what does that, I mean, so aside from like the church dynamic that, that we both live in, um, what is it, you know, logistically look like to, to share, um, Christ as a, as an individual, not just collectively, but yeah. as an individual in the day and age that, that we uh, find ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's such a great question. And I think that, um, I think that it, in some ways it does require a bit of the collectiveness. And I don't, when I say collectiveness, I'm not talking about like the church as an entity or an organization. I just mean relationally. Mm. What caught the attention of the Roman world was not the belief system of the early church. It was not the morality code of the early church. It was people coming to the table from different languages, nations, tribes, and tongues that should not have been able to get along together. It was their ability to come together in community with one another around a shared table. And not only that, but then to have this outward shoulder-to-shoulder facing presence to the world around them. You know, I think Emperor Julian uh, commented that it was a scandal that the godless Galileans cared not only for their own, but for the rest of the Roman Empire as well. Um, That's what caught the attention of the ancient world. Like Christianity spread because of the, the radical community. And when I say radical, I mean like these people should not be able to be in community with one another. And yet they are. And not only that they're in community with one another, but the way they're serving the world around them. So I, when I think about how do we, how do we show the world Jesus? Like how do, I mean, to use the old, the old language, like how do we evangelize? How do we show Jesus? How do we bring people into a, into faith? Um, I think we've got to start relying more in terms of the individual practices that you mentioned. I think one, I think we need to rediscover radical hospitality is one of the most powerful means of bringing people into the presence of Jesus. And again, this goes back to place and presence. I, I, and when I say hospitality, also coming from Alabama, like, you know, minds immediately go to like teacups and doilies and well-set tables. (laughs) And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creating safe places where people feel like they belong. Yeah. And they're accepted and they're loved. And then they encounter the presence of Jesus. It's about us setting a table for the presence of Jesus to come in. So that's one. I think another one is. Um, I think if we can be, salu- if we can be blessings to our cities, right? Like um, when the people of God were going into exile, Jeremiah told them, build houses and plant gardens. In other words, put down roots. Um, quit acting like you're just, you know, a, a traveler in this foreign land and you're just going to weather the storm. No, put down roots and be a blessing to your city. Could the church start becoming, and when I say church, again, I'm not talking about the organization. I'm just talking about the people of God. Can we start becoming the solutions to the city's problems? Mm. Um, you know, in our context, we, we, um, we, we own a coffee house in DC and when the pandemic hit, we just decided to partner with our city to be a distribution site for food. So I don't even remember now, like, I don't, I don't know the the number of the uh, pounds of groceries and meals that were given out there, but like 
we're like, hey, we we want to be we want to be a people that the mayor looks to for solutions. Um, I think another opportunity we have as the people of God is to be um, a different kind of voice in the cultural conversation. Like, can we be peacemakers and grace givers and tone setters? That's what we, I mean, that was what is so desperately needed right now. People that can give grace, people that can say, you know what, I disagree with you, but I'm going to live at peace with you. And people can change the tone. And if there's anybody that can do that, it's the people of God. And so I think, you know, radical hospitality, serving our community, being grace givers, peacemakers, tone setters, those are practical things that I think of. Um, and, and the other one I would say, too, is we've got to take discipleship out of the Bible study and put it into the marketplace. And when I say that, I don't, I'm not anti-Bible study. I love me some Bible studies. Those are necessary. We've got to, I mean, we could get on the whole topic of biblical literacy and you could get me going for another two hours. But we've got to understand discipleship as shaping people in the ways of God within the day-to-day, everyday life, walking around life that they do. And so I think finding ways to put discipleship back in the marketplace will help us reach a generation for Jesus. No, that's that's really good. Um, t- talk to me about how you view this idea of being peacemakers. Um, because I, I feel like um, I'm actually talking about this. I, I'm speaking at the time of this recording um, this Sunday at the church that I'm on staff at about my truth versus God's truth and like the the dynamic that that we live in. And I think for a lot of people, um, we've lost the ability to have a differing conviction um, with people that we're sitting at a table with. And yeah. still be respectful. And so I know, I know for a lot of people, I've watched people's entire theologies change in regards to different um, hot topic areas because they have people that they care about that are choosing to do things that are contrary to their theology, and they they just don't know what to do with the fact that there's conflict there. So so they do their best to try to make their theology match the behavior that they know is wrong in order for them to feel peace. But but that's not what we mean by by being peacemakers or being peace-giving at all. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about like what it looks like to be a peacemaker inside of that conflict? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we think that peace is like the absence of conflict. Um, but peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict in a, in a biblical sense any more than Courage means the absence of fear. It's, it's no, this, this is something we're pursuing and we're bringing in to the situation despite the presence of these things. So let me, let me ask you maybe a, a clarifying question to make sure I, I run the right way in this. Are you speaking more to um, finding internal peace when what you are thinking or feeling on the inside is at odds with maybe what God's truth, what your truth, when your truth and God's truth collide, how do you find peace in that? Or are you talking about when two people with differing opinions um, come to the table to talk about that and how they enter that conversation together? 
I think it's both and, but but in context of like what you were saying about peacemakers, what what I've observed, and maybe my observation isn't uh, as broad as I think it is, but what I've observed is people in order to be able to sit down with people, they feel like they have to agree with them. They have to, they feel like they have to be able or, or it's vice versa. I won't allow myself to sit down with somebody because we disagree on X or Y topic. Um, and so one of two things happens, either we alienate those people who think differently or because of our love for that person or that group of people, we change um, our, like how we have received truth for a different version of truth in order to feel comfortable. Yep. And so how, how do we understand peacemaking in light of the fact that you and I think differently on a major issue, but we're still fighting for peace in a relationship? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, in, as we talk about that, there are so many different people that are firing in my brain right now, right? Like, of, um, you know, friends, family, people we, that I would disagree with. And, and am I going to, is it about me like setting down my conviction to be in harmony with them? Or is it us about finding a way to both be, um, you know, to hold the conviction we have and still love each other. And that, I, I mean, Andy, I, I go back there to what our youth group is doing right now that I think is just tremendous. This idea of we gotta, we need to listen well. We, we spend so much time talking at one another. I mean, much of the cultural narrative over the past year, especially, has just been, it's just talking at one another without really listening. I mean, I think that one of the gifts we should bring to the world as the people of God is a a holy curiosity. Just are we willing to be so curious about someone else's story and perspective and hungry to learn that we're willing to listen well? And, And by that, I mean, when someone else is talking, we lean in a little bit closer, not so our voice can be heard more loudly, but so we can understand better what they're saying. And then secondly, I, I mean, ask anything. Like, I, I think it's dangerous when we get to a situation culturally where we feel like we can't even ask certain questions because of the label that that might get us. Or when, um, and I, look, as a church, we've got to let people bring their questions into the church. I think more people have left the church because we haven't even given space for questions, real legitimate questions of humanity. Like ask anything, whatever question you have, you're not going to be judged for asking that question. You're not going to be labeled for asking that question. You're not going, and we're not going to give you a pat answer. Like we're going to, we're going to listen and and ask anything. And then we've got to create spaces where we can disagree freely. I mean, I I look back at the early church. I look back at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. You're trying to get Gentiles and Jewish people to the table together. You're trying to get, you know, Jewish people to be okay with, with these new Gentiles coming into the church setting to have communion with you. And they've got pork on their breath. Like, I mean, they were navigating some really serious cultural differences in the first century. And 
um, we've got to we've got to be in a similar place of agreeing to disagree. We can disagree freely with one another and still love one another. And that the fourth one is just loving regardless. Loving does not mean agreement. It means that we're both connected to something bigger than ourselves. That our truth doesn't end with us. That we're both anchored to a truth that is outside of us, external to us, and bigger than us. And uh, one of the things that we say around here, too, is that we reserve the right to get smarter. Mm, Like, I want to reserve the right to get smarter. I want to reserve the right to one day come around and say, you you know what, I was wrong about that. And I was really wrong about that. And uh, and I, I also think that we probably, especially as Protestant Christians, need to recover the spiritual disciplines of confession and forgiveness. Because we have so much seen that as a vertical thing between us and God. But there's also this, I would say, maybe more importantly, there's this horizontal element between us and others that if we practice that, I think would make a tremendous difference in the world and, and, and show the world a picture of something that they're not seeing. That's so good. And, and I think I think with what you're saying is it does go back to something you were talking about earlier, which is um, the proximity of that conversation. Um, I, I think one of the reasons that we've struggled so much with having hard conversations and it's still being peace giving is uh, just like we know about email, uh, that you read emotions into email. Um that when when something's done digitally, even sometimes over over Zoom, but oftentimes on social media, what's posted, what's what's left out there for everybody to see, um, when we don't when we don't clarify intent, people write their own intent. Totally. And, and so, and and it's not. I mean, that almost sounds evil, or like people are coming after you to to change what you're meaning. No, no, no. no. People write their own intent out of insecurity. Absolutely. When yeah. they've already experienced people push back in that way, and they see you saying something similar, um, yep. that that's what happens. And and we can call that all unfair all day long, but it's the proclivity of people who are hurting. Absolutely. And so we can either complain about it or understand that it's our responsibility to clarify. And I, I think for so many, we, we maybe try to have, we, we've maybe tried to have those conversations with the right heart, but with the wrong place. Absolutely. I, and how you were talking about that and, and knowing like, those are conversations that don't have um, like a digital footprint. Those are conversations yeah. that are water cooler conversations. They're coffee shop over dinner conversations. Um, yep. You, you know, I grew up in Alabama where um, there's a lot of history of, of civil rights. And and I've always considered myself as much as a white guy can be. And I'm going to give that caveat. As much as a white man can understand um, the, the plight of people who experience racism. I've, I've always de- desired to be as um, aware as possible, but probably the best gift that came out of this last year was being able to sit down with a couple of people that I know really well and really personally um, that are of color and being able to listen to their stories and be able to listen to like not stories from like, because if you're from Birmingham, a lot of times 
I think we hear civil rights things because there is a, a, a different dynamic in Birmingham with, with racial tensions because of its history. I think oftentimes we think about it in the past. Uh, yeah, but when we sit sure. down and hear stories about like, you know, 90 days ago, it, it changes things. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- but had I not had that opportunity for those special proximity conversations, I, I would have missed out on, as you said, the, the opportunity to be smarter. Um, yep. And, and things that I probably prior to those conversations would have said, uh, I don't really know exactly how I feel about that. I, I can walk away with a much different conviction than what I thought I would have had um, prior to those conversations. Absolutely. A hundred percent. When I, when, when I'm sitting, particularly if it's on my front porch or my kitchen table, you know, and I'm having a conversation with Marion or Joel or Joshua or D or any n- number of people. Um, and I listen to their story, it just changed. And that, and I, I will say, I think that is one of the gifts um, that we've been given in, in some of the tensions that we faced in our nation, uh, culturally, racially, politically, it is, it's elevated the conversation. And our question, especially as people of faith, are we gonna allow that to polarize? Or are we gonna allow that to be an opportunity for us to lean in and lead the way for a nation that is in um, in a very polarizing space right now. Say, look, we, we can listen to one another and we can learn. And, and another thing, you know, the, again, going back to the disagreeing freely, I, I had to come to a point uh, a few years ago. This was such a, it, it probably just sounds like obvious to most people, but for me and the way I'm wired, I realized that understanding someone did not have to equal agreement. Like I just, I think because I'm so left brain that if I can understand your logic, that means that I have to agree with you. But the reality is we can understand, completely understand and empathize with another person, understand where they're coming from and still hold to a different opinion. And, and as the people of God, we've got to, We've got to practice that. We've got to exercise that muscle. That's and so that's so good. That that's so important. I, I think for many people right now, we live in a world where the response is if I if I don't agree with it, it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's or if I haven't experienced it, it's not real. Yep. Yep. And I don't think we have come to understand how narcissistic that statement is. Like, like when we hear it out loud, we all go, oh gosh, I would never say that. But when we, but when we push back on things because we disagree with them theologically, philosophically, or politically, um, as if it's not as, as accurate as what that person's communicating, or maybe that's just their experience and not everybody's experience simply because it's different than how I view things, uh, that that's actually demeaning that person. Yeah. when all they need us to do is understand. They don't need us to agree. They just need us to understand. That's such a good point. I really appreciate the the time that you've taken um, to, to hang out and talk. Um, th- this is going to be uh, a couple of episodes uh, here on, on my podcast. And I hope that for those of you guys watching this 
Um, I hope that you'll do two things. Number one, I hope that you'll you'll listen to this and really take this conversation to heart and give you something to process. I also hope uh, that you'll take some time to go connect with Heather on social media and uh, just um, and just go check out what she's doing at National Community and the impact that she's making there. And then lastly, I said two things. I'm gonna say three because it's my podcast and I have the microphone. Um, I would love if you've enjoyed uh, these conversations to hit that share button. Um, You can share in two different ways. You can share it on social media. You can also hit the share button on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube uh, and literally just text it to somebody. Text a link and say, hey, you should hear this conversation. Um, And so thank you so much for for your time, Heather. It's always a pleasure to get to see your face and get to hear uh, your heart and what you're processing and what you're thinking. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Andy. It was a privilege. It's an honor. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, hey, until next week, you're watching the Andy McMillan Podcast. 